2017, the Libertarian Union was formed. Finally, the average Joe Libertarian could find a thriving community of independent podcasters and content providers, all in one convenient location. At Libertarian Union, we'll always have the latest news, interviews, discussions, and even movie reviews. With hundreds of episodes and more added all the time, you'll always find something fresh at libertarianunion.com. All right, all right, all right. Uh, let's get fired up here. Maximum freedom. Read. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Actual Anarchy Podcast, the podcast where we talk about movies from a Rothbardian and anarcho-capitalist perspective. Tonight we're going to talk about three billboards outside, I wrote, bumfuck, Missouri. Uh, but it's Ebbing, Missouri, and this is episode 83 of the show, so you can find the show notes and more at actualanarchy.com slash 83. Speaking of bumfucks, how are you doing, Robert? You son of a bitch. I'm living life, loving it. I'm feeling really good today. I... I... I had a nice little breakfast, and then I had a salad, a big old salad, and I haven't eaten any crap today. So, man, I'm just I'm just feeling strong, feeling strong, feeling like a human being that's like on fire. Well, that's good. I'm like the opposite. I'm on the edge of sickness, and I just had the little throat coat tea, and I'm like feeling like my, my throat's going to be trouble in the next couple of hours and days. So hopefully we can make it through this episode, no, no muss, no fuss, and have a really great conversation talking about this movie. Well, that's good because it's. Uh, I think it's a strong movie to discuss. It's got a lot of interesting points. It. It. There are some recent news stories that um, kind of tie into this movie, so it should be a good discussion. I agree, sir. And also, in recent developments, uh, our Patreon has been getting a little bit of that action. We got two new Patreons this past week, so I want to give a shout out to Joe and Devin for pledging to us on Patreon. So you can find out the bonus action that they get, and you can also send us money uh, at uh, patreon.com slash readrothbard or actualanarchy.com slash patreon. Uh, do check that out, and uh, you, you might be able to get some of the early access or the Kathleen Turner Overdrive that we do at the end of the show, where we keep keep on trucking and even get more ridiculous than we do on the normal show. So thank you guys for pledging us. That's your little shout out. So Devin and Joe, thank you so much. And uh, hopefully that encourages the rest of the lemmings to uh, jump over the cliff and send us dollar dollar bills, y'all. Yeah. Thanks much, Devin and Joe. Welcome. Welcome to the show. Welcome to the support channels. Appreciate it. I'm sure you're very handsome, successful people. So <laughs> welcome. Yeah, we, we love them already. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, uh, now that the formalities are out of the way, why don't we get into the last nighters portion of the show? Why don't we? Do, 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 Hey everyone, it's Daniel and Robert, the Last Nighters, and we're here to talk about a movie called Three Billboards Outside. Ebbing, Missouri. This is the 26th episode of the show, and you can find the show notes and more at lastnighters.com slash 26. Uh, my co-host Robert is with me, and we are going to have a good time. This is a, uh, a movie that's going to spur a lot of discussion. We've already touched on that in a little bit of our pre-show action. Uh, how you doing, Robert, before we get into the Google description and start working our way through this one? I'm doing great, sir. Thanks for having me back on the show. Glad to be here. I agree. That's your cue to talk. Circle gets the square. Okay. <laughs> All right, uh, Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri, came out last year. Drama crime film, one hour, 55 minutes, 8.2 on the IMDb, 92%. Rotten Tomatoes, 88%. Metacritic and 87% of the Google users like it. Here is the description. Mildred Hayes, a hard-nosed mother, is seeking justice for her murdered daughter. With no arrests after seven months, Mildred puts up three roadside signs to goad Ebbing police chief into action. But the law, and especially Sam Rockwell's hot-headed deputy, don't take kindly to the provocation. And the townsfolk are on their side, but Mildred doesn't care about ruffling a few feathers. In fact, 
She's Happy to Pluck the Whole Bird. Uh, came out November 10th, 2017. Director Martin McDonough, and he did the screenplay, got uh, several Academy Awards, and was nominated for much, much more. Of course, stars Francis McDormand and uh, Woody Harrelson and uh, the um, aforementioned Sam Rockwell. So what do you think of the description yeah, before and, we get into this? Uh, what, a, what a powerhouse cast. These guys really kill it in this movie. Just strong performances all around. There aren't any really weak performances. In fact, even the, the bit parts are played really, really strongly. Um, the, 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 the ditzy new young girlfriend of the ex-husband springs to mind of just a girl that steals every scene she's in, even though she's only got like a minute or two of screen time in the whole movie, but she stands out. Um, uh, Tyrion Lannister, I don't know why his name isn't, isn't springing to mind, but he does an excellent job. Uh, just everybody in the film has imbued each of their characters with a lot of, um, personality and uh, depth. So fantastic. And like the, uh, like the evil Dixon's evil mom, she was fantastic too. And she's even got like an armadillo that kind of like lives on her lap. Fantastic. Oh yeah. Grandma from Napoleon Dynamite. Yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, Peter Dinklage. Yeah. Uh, Tyrion. So it's all personality plus. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's a, a well-casted film. I will certainly agree with you. You better. That's all we're going to do is just keep agreeing with each other. You're a son of a bitch. I agree. Circle gets the square again. I think you've won this this round, sir. <laughs> All right. So, what what do you got? Uh, where, where do you want to start with this thing? I know there's a lot to talk about. So, why don't you guide? Well, me there is. This? I mean, the main plot revolves around a woman who has lost her daughter in in a, a brutal, violent murder. It was a rape and a murder, and then she was set on fire. And you can imagine the horror of that for any parent. But then you get a scene where treated to a very emotionally powerful scene where it's the last time we see the daughter and the daughter's like, I hope I get raped on the way to whatever it is she's going out to do that night. And then Francis McDormand says, I hope you get raped too. And those are the last words she says to her daughter. And you can imagine the, how horribly she feels about that. Um, And then as you can imagine with people not getting justice, not getting their crime solved, the frustration that she feels. So she takes out these billboards, which are really, I mean, you can imagine in the, in the, in the world that this takes place in how it ruffles up the feathers. But if this had taken place in like a, like a city, like a New York city, would people even notice? I can imagine people, maybe there'd be a little blurb about something, but it would be something you'd walk by on your way to work and you would just go about your business. I mean, I can't imagine they seem kind of tame. Um, it's not like they, she's accusing anybody of anything. All she's doing is, you know, why hasn't there been any progress in this case after so long? Why haven't you done your job? It's all, all the billboards ask, but yet that's enough to, um, get everybody all upset about her. And her solution is the solution of many aggrieved parents, unfortunately, in in not only in the country, but in the world, because you see you have government, which is a really uh, reactionary organization, and politicians like to get votes, and they like to curry favor, and they like to be seen as, you know, action takers and protectors of the people. So you've got your aggrieved parents who say, if only government had X power, then this would have been prevented, or we would be able to catch you know, this person's killer or this would not happen again or right. you know, fill in the blank of government power equals good. And how many and of those laws like Becky's law or Billy's law or whatever exist, you know, they're always named yeah, after the kid. Exactly. I mean, they have a, a real name like Bill, blah, 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 six, four, seven. But yeah, they're always named after the, the, the dead child. And so then the, the parents, they, they seek government to, they look to government to, you know, give government more power to hopefully prevent, you know, this tragedy that happened. And that's what uh, Francis McDormand's character does in this movie. And so that's why I thought it was a really interesting film to talk about. Um, you sent me some articles and recently in the news, there have been articles regarding ancestry websites and DNA obtained from suspects matched up and essentially solving like decades and decades old cold case files, you know, based on this, this new DNA evidence. And that's essentially what she's arguing for in this movie. She wants the, the sheriff, Bill Willoughby, to open up a database of every man in the county. You know, at first she's, she's asking for like, you know, all, everybody at 
eight years old or whatever to to give their blood forcibly. And then she asks for every boy born to, you know, put their blood in a database. And then, you know, Willoughby's response is, well, there's kind of like civil rights issues with that. There's like laws against that. And she's like stymied and frustrated by that. And the crux of my discussion or what we I think we should be discussing is, you know, the um, whether that's right or wrong or moral or immoral. I mean, do people have a, a right to their own bodies? I mean, I think this falls online with uh, we've, we've kind of discussed this in the past with the things like the, the Sesame Credit situations where if people want to volunteer their blood or their DNA to be part of some database to show kind of virtue signal and show, hey, I'm a good citizen. I haven't committed any crimes. Um, I didn't I, would, I don't know if I'd necessarily trust a government organization um, because I don't know if you know this or not, but the government is organized full of corrupt, horrific people, human beings who seek power. And uh, they're not above framing people for crimes, which they don't commit. So anyway, all those are basically my big mind vomit into your ear holes. Um, grab any of that and uh, let's play with it or, or go off your own thoughts. All right. Well, that, that was a, a fair amount. And I think we can dig into a bunch of this juiciness. But I first wanted to say that I would certainly understand and empathize with somebody who has a family member fall victim to to something that they felt like could be prevented by a, a new law, uh, especially when they think that the laws actually maintain order and actually prevent crime. Um, but as you've said many times, you know, the more laws there are, the more criminals there are, because the more things are outlawed, uh, you're essentially manufacturing crime. Um, murder is already a crime. Rape is already a crime. You don't need a new law to make that a crime. Um, you know, you, you follow what I'm saying? Like, these people aren't going to follow the laws anyway. They're intent on doing harm. And the best thing that you can really do is have situational awareness, have the means and ability to defend yourself if you're not able to avoid a dangerous situation. And that's, uh, you know, those are the two main drivers as to preventing and dealing with um, a criminal, violent assault, uh, attempted murder or rape, in my humble opinion. But uh -huh, uh -huh. I do want to uh, talk about how the failure of the police to deal with this in, in a satisfactory manner to the to the mother, to Mildred, prompted her to go other means, you know. So it's almost a, a market response. You know, she sought another way to get what she desired. And so she went to advertising and... And public shaming. Public shaming and ostracism. And, and these are very powerful tools. I mean, they elicited a response almost immediately. Now, granted, it's it's a story. It's a movie. But I can certainly see that as being something that would happen. You know, like you would be met with some form of response by being on the news and having these billboards, even though it's like this stretch of road that no one travels on anymore ever since the new highway went in. Which, by the way, they hadn't rented out the billboards since 1986. And I don't know how present day or you know, when this film was set, but it would seem to me that if she wanted to put something up on those billboards, it would be almost free, not $5,000 yeah. a month. That seemed ridiculous. <laughs> no kidding. I mean, I know they wanted to make it like a plot point where she couldn't quite afford, you know, this so that, spoiler, she had to get help later on. But yeah, the idea that she would pay five grand for one month for these three billboards, it's almost like she could have just put the signs up on the billboards and nobody would have even noticed anyway. Yeah, kind the guy didn't even know they were there. And that, that was the, the brother from Get Out. Oh, it was. Nice catch. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so, but getting into your DNA thing, uh, I, you know, it makes me uneasy. I will say that. Because, you know, in the stories about the, the girl in Tacoma from 1986, uh, who they found a suspect based on similar DNA from publicly available Ancestry, 23andMe type websites and, and DNA matches. And it's not even matching with that particular person. Like they didn't, um, like he wasn't necessarily in, in the database, but some of his right. relatives were, and it was enough right. to narrow it down to where, oh, well, he's the right age. He was in the right, you know, we show records of him living in the you know, right area. And so it's, it's um, I'm kind of torn on it. You know, on the one hand, I'm like, yeah, somebody who does something that horrific should suffer the repercussions of that. You know, some form of restitution and some sort of, I don't know, punishment needs to be meted out. You know, you want to like deter and prevent that. But the other side of it is it's like your family or your relatives 
submitting their DNA to this thing is sort of like putting everyone at risk in a way. Because you don't know when it's going to be used against you. And and I don't even mean you have to do like a really, you know, legitimate crime to be under the purview or under the microscope of the government. Certainly not. I mean, I think there's a book that, that claims that the average American commits three felonies a day. So it's really just a matter of them wanting to mess with you that they then can because there's enough laws on the books and they can pin enough things on people. And, and that's what they they do is they overcharge, you know, to make something stick. Right. And I think there was a, a story recently in, um, I want to say Ohio where a guy, uh, was out on a date with a girl and the, the, the girl's father is a police officer, pulled him over and it's caught on video. And they said, and he says to the boy, Hey, if you do anything, I'll find something to stick on you. I'll find some way to arrest you and charge you. I'll make something up if I have to. I mean, it's literally, you know, it's bad eggs doing bad things, but they have the means to do it. And as Lord Acton said, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. So they may have, you know, the best of intentions in going into this line of work, but they have that power. And to think that not, you know, that there's no way it can be abused is uh, pretty ridiculous in my estimation. Well, and you see you see some seriously egregious abuses of power in this film, to get back to the film a little bit. Um, Dixon, in this movie, there's a pretty horrific assault scene, not to mention the fact that he's essentially admits to torturing people, but then he out and out just straight up assaults the advertising guy and his secretary just in broad daylight and doesn't fear any kind of repercussion. And there wasn't really any. I mean, yeah, he got fired, but... He didn't get arrested. He didn't get charged. He didn't go to tr- to trial for this. No, not at all. That's what usually happens. And I'm surprised he even got fired. I mean, it had to happen for the story. But it's so rare that, that any cop, no matter what they do, actually get fired. I mean, usually they get some sort of a paid vacation and then they get put on desk duty for like six months until everybody, you know, everything blows over and then they're back out on the streets. But yeah, Dixon in this movie, I mean, he... It's interesting, the Dixon character. I mean, I I ended up, at the end of the movie, I didn't hate him as much as I did, you know, in the middle of the movie. But I'm also watching it for the second time. How are you, how did you feel about him watching it for the first time? Well, he seemed like the, you know, typical dim-witted mama's boy bully type who sought out a position of authority. And, you know, like the prison guard type, but he's in the small town, so he gets to be a cop. And he should... You know, he shouldn't be anywhere near a position of authority, even even per their own rules. Right. Um, I've 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 heard that there's you know, they dissuade you if you have too high of an IQ from being a police officer. So in, in a way, they sort of want, you know, you got to be capable enough, but then not so capable. You don't question the orders, uh, as they say. Sure. Um, sure. But he seemed to be definitely on the low end of that. You know, oh, yeah. it, it took him like six years to get through. Uh, evil medical school. Um, yes. <laughs> yeah, they're called doctors. <laughs> yes. And uh, you got held back one of those years. Yeah, yeah. And he's, you know, he's been torturing people, and then even Mildred, you know, tricked him into saying, "Oh, you know, I heard you were in the torturing black people business," and he's like, "People of color torturing, please." <laughs> That's right. <laughs> oh man. So it's like, okay, so you're super racist, but you're going to be PC when it comes to like describing the racism. It's so, it's so bizarre. It is. It's the weird world where being racist is worse than being a torturing butcher assaulter guy. (laughs) You'll cop to being a a torturer, but you won't cop to being a racist. (laughs) Because that's way worse, right? It's just way worse, man. Yeah. So, um. Oh, back to the the public shaming and ostracism. Uh, personally, in my neighborhood, I've seen a couple of of this type of um, security service, you know, this type of resolution happen. There's been signs put up uh, in various areas of the neighborhood describing, like, don't trust, you know, such and such person's name. He steals things and he's a heroin addict. Or uh, there's a, a plot of land that's around the corner from us that had a trailer fire. Yeah, it sounds like a great neighborhood, right? Um, <laughs> great place to raise kids. Yeah. And it, uh, it, you know, burned down and then the guy hasn't been back since, but I guess he was a big meth head. And so people in the neighborhood put up signs like this is, you know, this is terrible. This is a blight. Uh, this hey, is one less meth lab. Methyl- <laughs> I don't know how much people are complaining about. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, and uh, another thing had happened, uh, I want to say, last summer, and somebody posted up like a, a description of the events of some somebody assaulting someone else on all the you know telephone poles. So like you'd know, oh, you know, something had happened in this area. This is the person we suspect or whatever. Because they didn't really get any you know response out of the police, right, the sheriff. And so people right. take it into their own hands and make sure that there's at least some consequence, some repercussion. And as we said before, ostracism is a very, very powerful thing. I mean, people are, humans are social. And, you know, it's it's actually like a form of torture to be put into isolation for an extended period of time. I mean, people go crazy from that. So, yeah, it's a very, very powerful, it's a very in, ingrained uh, need is to have social interaction. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so do you see kind of what I was saying about the, I mean, Frances McDormand's her desire to, you know, catch the the killer essentially at all costs. I mean, she was she was all she would have been all for any kind of state granting of powers, like Emperor Palpatine taking extreme, you know, dictatorial powers, just until the fighting's done, then he'll cede power. Totsi promises she would have been totally for that. Um, so were you? I mean, obviously, I think you were, you know, you know, you were supportive of her, you know, in getting justice, but. You know, you, you thought that she was she was going too far there, yeah. Yeah, I think that the means are important, and right. if you're going to treat everyone as if they're a potential criminal, when there's been no evidence that they had any part of of being in that you know crime, you know, if you're talking about like forcibly drawing blood out of every every person in an area, I think that certainly oversteps many many boundaries. Whoa, 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 Daniel! Not every person in the area, only men. She was sexist about this. <laughs> Touche. <laughs> yes, this is true. She was. She had narrowed it down slightly, ever so slightly. Yeah, I mean, I'll grant her that the majority of people raping women are men, but there are quite a few men that are raped by men and some women, and women do commit crimes as well. So if she's wanting some sort of a universal DNA database that everybody can be tested against, I think she would she would do well to uh, include women on that. Yeah, and but. yet the market has seemingly provided one in real life. Yeah, because they offer value. I mean, I have gotten my DNA tested, and I've received massive health information that has quite changed my life significantly for the better. And then it's also provided, you know, other people with their ancestry information for people that are, you know, really interested in that. And I've looked at that also, but essentially we all came from, you know, Europe, then Africa, and well, Africa, then Europe. So it's not super interesting for us waspy type people. But um, I mean, you know, if you're down with that, you're down with that. But for me, the main thing was the health. Learning about my my mutations has been revelatory. Uh, it's allowed me to change my diet in ways that has made me feel so much better. It made me feel like a human being. I mean, I had I've had you know, neurological problems all my adult life, and I really didn't understand why. And now I get an explanation, and it's because of the food I've been eating, and it's been able to cut that out. And you know, it, I, mean, I also blame the FDA for mandating forcibly mandating synthetic folic acid into the into uh, rice and pastas and cornmeal and flour, especially fruit loops, basic staples that everybody eats. And it's been in the food supply since 1998. I mean, it's not like, you know, the market couldn't have put this in by itself, but done it voluntarily. But the FDA mandates it and everybody has to do it if it's in the United States and produced for the American market. And it is to, for those who don't know, it's to um, combat neural tube defects like spina bifida. And it does do a bit for that. If your body doesn't have the MTHFR mutation, you can synthesize that or metabolize it or whatever the, the word is. Methylate. I believe it's methylate, the word. And um, But I, if you have the MTHFR mutation, you can't do that. And so it's actually more like a toxin in your body. And so, yeah, and uh, about 30% of the population have the MTHFR mutation. So, you know, you might want to get yourself tested if you are uh, have unexplained depression or anxiety or in my case uh Tourette's and tinnitus all kinds of things that you are don't know why you have it well it might be because you're eating you're eating uh, synthetic folic acid but anyway that's my little rant on that all right well back to the movie uh, go back to the movie yeah oh and and back to the uh, more laws more criminals when the billboards are actually being put up Rockwell's character is out there going, what What the hell is this? And he threatens to arrest one of the people putting it up uh, for emptying a bucket. 
And he's like, well, for yeah, what? For environmentalism. He's like, yeah, one of, the, one of those environmental laws. <laughs> you know, so he was, you know, an example of that, looking for any excuse to interfere and, you know, make, make somebody a criminal just because he didn't like him. Oh, sure. Yeah. As long as they're doing something he doesn't like, he'll find a way to hurt them, to exert his authority and power to hurt them. This is, yeah, he's the textbook example of a thug that you would never in a million years want having in any kind of position of power over anybody else, let alone, um, you know, a United States police officer with the market having zero recourse if he's a terrible person. I mean, there's just no, what do you do? You, you file a complaint about him and then they, they do nothing in response. That's, yeah, that's yeah. usually what happens. Did you ever see the video of, um, there was a reporter who went to a bunch of police stations and precincts in uh, South Florida and tried to ask for a complaint form. And in, I want to say, you know, 85, 90% of them, he got menaced by the officer at the desk, like threatening him with arrest or saying, well, you need to tell me what it is. I can't just give you a form, even though it's supposed to be, I think by Florida law and, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, everyone, but there's supposed to be a form and it's supposed to be anonymous and it's supposed to be taken seriously and it's supposed to be a, you know, a, a method of feedback for the department that's supposedly serving that community. And when this guy went and did it and he did it on video, uh, you can find it, I think on YouTube or Facebook. Uh, he, yeah, it was a, it was a harrowing experience. I would not want to have gone through that and actually had to, you know, submit some kind of uh, a complaint and be threatened in the way that he was. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, you're dealing with not just regular people because if, if, if that had happened in any other situation, I mean, imagine going into an Apple store and filing a complaint or any other store and feeling that intimidated and threatened. <laughs> you wouldn't, it just, it just wouldn't happen. It would just never happen because you have the power to withdraw your support from that company. Now it might've happened at the dentist office, maybe at least according to this movie. In yes, in only in this movie, if 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 you're uh, you're daring the uh, police chief to uh, do his job. Although I mean, in in sympathy to the police chief, and I think this would be in sympathy to anybody in his position. I mean, what's he supposed to do? Like he says in the movie, these cases are usually solved by some guy talking to another guy and bragging about a thing. What what what? I mean, what would somebody advocate he do or be able to do? to solve the case because i wouldn't go so far as to you know advocate what what francis mcdormand advocates yeah i think Daniel. i think uh what he was in a between a rock and a hard place i mean there wasn't a whole lot of leads and there is actually a bar conversation toward the end that uh leads us to believe that that is what what you know who the person was who did this horrific act but um just touching on the dentist again real quickly the dentist was I guess, buddies with Chief Willoughby, and he was upset about these billboards. And so he was going to torture Francis McDormand Mildred in response, like trying to pull a tooth out that didn't need to be pulled out. And she's like, well, don't you need to look at it? And he's like, barely looks. He's like, yeah, it needs to come out. And then she drills through his uh, through his thumb, which I thought was like a defensive thing. I did, was, you, did you did you give her a pass on that? I am, yeah. I think that she, she got the, the heebie-jeebies from him as a result mm -hmm. and knew that she had to get the hell out of there. Yeah, I mean, I think she could have just left. She could have gotten up out of the chair. But I do kind of, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I guess it's technically, I, I would say it's defensive what she does. But also, she probably could have gotten by without it, without a, without have, drawing blood. But, you know, um, then it's not if a she scene. chose then to it's not do a that, in, the movie. and that sends a message like, hey, don't mess with me, buddy. <laughs> don't, don't try and pull out teeth that don't need to be pulled out. Then I'm, I'm with her. Yeah, and I think because it, it's a movie, you had to have some kind of dramatic scene. You, know, you couldn't be just like, oh, she just left because she felt weird about it. <laughs> right. There had to be a little bit of action. There has to be some action. And, you know, I'm not going to second guess, you know, if this actually happens in real life, if somebody feels threatened and that's the way that they choose to defend themselves, I'm not going to sit here and second guess them. I mean, not only are you trying to defend yourself, you're also trying to send a message that, hey, don't ever try this again. And I, I guarantee you that dentist would not ever try and pull a tooth. Not only would she never go to that dentist again, but if she ever did, uh, he, I don't think, I think he'd definitely think twice before he ever tried to uh, pull a tooth that needed to be extracted or not. Yeah, agreed. And, you know, there's another thing I wanted to, to bring up is when Willoughby first comes up to Mildred's house, you know, because the billboards have now elicited a response and he comes and talks to her. Uh, she opens the door cautiously and he asks if they can talk. And she makes a point to close the door as she comes out and says, no, we'll talk outside. And I thought that that was, you know, quite appropriate. Like, I wouldn't want to let them in my house either. 
Oh, yeah, completely agree. I think far too often in films and TV, you see people just letting cops into your house. And if you're really gonna, if you, first of all, you have no obligation to talk to them. You're absolutely under no obligation at any time to ever talk to them for any reason. But if you do and you feel like you want to, I would not. Yeah, I would. I mean, unless it's a driving snowstorm blizzard, <laughs> um, I, I'll be talking to them outside. Because just asking one of those people, regardless of you know how helpful you're trying to be or how good of a person you believe they are, um, you're probably in violation of some such thing, and you know it, it. It's just it's just not worth taking that risk. All right, and just to point out, we have not given any medical or legal advice <laughs> during this episode, even though it might. Yeah, this is what we would do. Yeah, it might be perceived that way, but it is. I'm telling you now, it is not medical or legal advice. That's our little disclaimer. <laughs> well it's not medical advice to defend yourself from somebody who's trying to rip your teeth out no i was talking about your but, uh folic acid yeah i'm just talking about myself man that's right that is right that's what we do here we talk about movies and ourselves so what else do you want to talk how about we talk about um no more cunts in the house while you moving out <laughs> <laughs> this movie was far funnier than you thought it was going to be admit it i i thought that line was hilarious <laughs> yeah that's good uh, that line was fantastic, and then I also thought Penelope said baguettes. It was fucking hilarious. Penelope said baguettes. Yeah, that's the, the 19-year-old, right, that uh, is hooking up with the ex-husband, who I guess he was an ex-cop, and also uh, he would beat up on Mildred, so she was very, you know, yeah, nonplussed about hanging around <laughs> around him. And he does this, like, terrible guilt trip, right, where he yeah. says... Hey, she, she, the daughter came to want to live with me, but I said, no, you know, your mother really loves you. So you need to stay with her. And he says to Mildred, if I hadn't told her to go back to you, she'd still be alive. And I was like, that is a horrific guilt trip that really has nothing to do with the terrible event that happened. It could have happened because, because she moved in with him, you know, it could have happened because any, any million reasons, right? Sure. Yeah, it's that that kind of line is just meant to to cause pain. I mean, that she already feels horrific about the whole situation. She already has a massive amount of guilt and should just pile on that kind of crap. Oof, that is a terrible thing to say to another human being. There's a lot of there's a lot of strong drama, emotional moments in this movie. I thought it was just really well done. All right. So one thing, but I... uh, we do need to get on and talk about the culpability argument. It's it it's kind of a throwaway scene in the movie. I mean, it establishes her character, it establishes how she feels about religion and some other things, but it's not necessarily like the main crux of her, you know, character's philosophy. I think she's mainly just trying to make a point to get this priest out of her house, but I think it's worth discussing. So what she basically says is there's this priest in the house and, you know, he's like trying to get her to go to church and blah, blah, blah. And she essentially throws Rico at him, which is a law that the United States government came up with to fight organized crime. And it basically says that if you're a part of an organization that is a criminal organization, then you are culpable for the crimes committed by other members of that organization, regardless of whether or not you have committed any crimes personally yourself. And she uses that against this priest, saying that since he's a member of this priesthood, since there are all these other pedophile priests... He's a member of this criminal organization since this criminal organization, this organization covers for these priests and they absolutely do. I mean, that's just a fact. They know about the the abuse. They shuffle the, the priests around and they don't actually really do anything to, you know, call these priests out and like say, hey, these priests have been molesting children and these people need to go to jail or, you know, suffer some sort of restitution or something. Instead, they kind of hide it away as if. This isn't going to come out. Uh, it's a weird, weird PR move by the church. I, I don't get it. I, I think that they would be like the ones most wanting to root it out, but they're not. They're the ones that protect it and perpetuate it. So I don't know. I think it's a strange move. But what did you think about her argument that, um, I mean, I don't necessarily being, you know, guilt by association is in my mind you know, bullshit. You, you were, we're individuals. We were, you're individual, you're guilty for your own crimes. Now it does say something about your character, the people you associate with. And I'm all for people wanting to disassociate with you based on your associations. Hey, I don't want to hang out with priests because, you know, some of them are pedophiles. Okay, sure. Fine. Why not? But I wouldn't be for 
say, well, let's throw all priests in jail because some of them are pedophiles. No, I'm not on board with that. But I want to I want to hear Daniel's thoughts on this issue. Well, I, I thought this would be a, a main discussion point, and I do think it is very interesting. I think that we did get into the RICO fairly heavily on our Find Me Guilty episode. I don't remember the um, episode number, but do check that out. It's in our back catalog on the show. So Find Me Guilty, the Vin Diesel movie. We talk about RICO quite a bit. Um, I'm with you. I agree that it is bullshit to charge others for a crime that's committed by someone else, but it does have you know, a tinge on their character, and it would maybe led you to um, see them as suspect, right? If you don't know who did it, uh, but you know that this type of activity is performed by this type of organization, then when an event happens, then maybe you'd scrutinize them a bit further. You know, they'd be high up on your suspect list, but then you'd need to actually have evidence that they were the individuals in particular who are responsible for it. And speaking of, um, you know, the church stuff, I don't know a whole bunch about. I mean, if seen news stories and whatnot and it's like one of those like things you hear about enough to to the point to where there's even jokes about it um but i find it interesting that they put it in a hollywood movie because isn't people who make hollywood movies also facing similar i don't want to say charges but like allegations or rumor well i don't know if you're familiar with the 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 lefty mentality that dominates hollywood but they're not super hot on you know super concerned with self-reflection and introspection yeah, and there was even, I think at the Academy Awards, uh, let me confirm this, uh, there were copycats of the billboard, right? This movie was, it had a um, copycat effect, so a lot of people were going around putting up billboards facing mm. things. And um, yeah, it says here on the Wikipedia, on or around March 1st, around the time of the 2018 Oscars, three billboards were taken out in Los Angeles stating, quote, we all knew and still know arrests. The second one said, and the Oscar for biggest pedophile goes to. And the third one said, name names on stage or shut the hell up. Mm. Well, yeah, Corey, um, Corey Feldman, I believe, is someone who's been very vocal about the pedophiles that are very high up, like the heads of studios in Hollywood. And, you know, how they have parties and basically invite a whole bunch of underage boys to, you know, satisfy the guests and whatnot. Um, Brian Singer um, has been kind of outed for his activities in that situation. Um, he's the director of like the X-Men movies and probably some other, and the usual suspects. Um, yeah. I mean, I think this is something that is fairly well known in Hollywood circles. Yeah. So to, to write in this uh, culpable argument, especially related to the church, uh, it seems counterproductive to the entire operation when you're making a film and there's similar similar uh, rumors and accusations hanging over that industry. So yeah, you're right. The self-reflection, not so good. <laughs> not not super good. I mean, I think they like to make these kinds of movies, not to say that the, the, the director and the writer of this movie, which is the same person, specifically had any sort of agenda, because I don't know anything about him. But, um, you know, if there's anybody that likes to talk about how great they are, it's, you know, basically Donald Trump and then Hollywood elite people. And, you know, they could make a movie like this and then talk about how brave they are and how much they're doing to stop the the abuses in Hollywood at the same time, not naming names. It, it, it's kind of a backhanded way, it seems, for them to do that. Um, I don't know. I really don't know the, the, the specifics of this particular situation. But, you know, they'll get on stage and talk about how important their industry is and how much great they do in the world. And they're entertainers. And yeah, they, they do drive a bit of culture, but I wouldn't say that they're doing it in a good way. <laughs> it's probably the way they want it to go, but eh, if I had my druthers, it'd be more books like like The Founder and Atlas Shrugged. And Although they are making um, they are making The Fountainhead. I forget who it is, but it's... Um, is, 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 is it Singer? Or is it somebody else that's making The Fountainhead? I forget. I don't know, but I, I think I heard some similar rumors as well. So Oh, I think it was, oh, Zack Snyder. It's Zack Snyder that's doing the Fountainhead next. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. So Superman himself. Yep. You know, if he's got strong source material, he he tends to do a good job. So we'll see. Yeah, it's a strange project for him because he's usually all about, you know, um, setting and action and, you know, CGI motion and explosions and stuff. But yeah, when he does have the source material, he does do a good good job. Although the, the Fountainhead is essentially a, a human drama, a courtroom with a courtroom scene at the end and just basically you know a lot of dialogue yeah. so we'll see we'll see how it goes I mean, maybe it'll it'll show them uh, rebuilding all those buildings from 
Superman and Zod smashing him in Metropolis. <laughs> so that's what Rourke is doing. Howard <laughs> Rourke is commissioned to, to to design all the the buildings that were knocked down in Metropolis. That'd be so sweet. Yeah, so, so meta. It's, it's like a sequel, you know. Yeah, yeah. That's that's it. Oh, I, I would I would definitely go see that movie. All right, so I, I have a couple more points, and then we're we're actually running low on time here. But um, did you notice the deer looked so fucking fake when she's? Yeah, that bummed me out. It didn't. I mean, as someone who has deer all around all the time, yeah, it, it was definitely either it was either um, part of it was like a CGI deer, and then another part was like a green screen deer. So it wasn't wasn't great. Yeah, it was like the alien in Alien Three. I mean, we just did Jurassic Park last episode, and we were talking about how the CGI was was pretty good, even though it was like cutting edge at the time. This is, you know, it's 2017 when this is made, or 2016. I mean, this is this is a poor showing. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I could defend it only in the sense that, you know, they didn't have, like, Weta doing it. I mean, I'm sure they just hired some house. They're like, well, all we need is this deer. We don't need, like, 5,000 orcs or anything, so we don't need, like, the best people to and do And it can't this. be a real deer because then PETA will be all over our ass. There you go. Or PETA. So, yeah, I mean, they, they probably, you know, either in-housed it or shopped it out for very low amounts of money. Um, I'm, you know, it's, it's disappointing, but it doesn't, it doesn't really ruin my, my image of the movie. It's such a, it's a, you know, it's a short little scene that, you know, if, as long as you're look standing far back, back far enough from the screen, it's okay. Yeah. Well, again, counterproductive to the entire operation. All right. And the other thing is in this movie, it seems like everyone, everyone is really dumb. Like so dumb, except for maybe Mildred. Well, I would say that Bill's not, not too dumb. Dixon's a moron, but he gets one little moment to kind of shine a little bit. Yeah, and and he does find his badge after losing it when he gets fired. And I thought that was like a little symbolic, like because he actually did some real police work. And then he, you know, is able to turn it in. And this is when he gets the DNA off the guy from uh, scratching him in the bar. Mm -hmm. So, okay, so before we wrap this up, we have to talk about the ending and whether or not they would be justified. Now, the, at the very end, they're not sure if they're going to go through with it. But if they did, would it be murder or would it be justice? I want to hear your thoughts first. All right. And again, for our audience, this is spoilers all the time. So we hope that you've seen the movie first. But essentially, the foreshadowed, you know, sometimes these things are solved by a conversation in a bar. Somebody's bragging about something. Well, to, at the end here... The Sam Rockwell character, he's been fired for being a racist asshole, assaulting Red, the advertising guy. And the guy from The Wire, who is the new police chief, fires him. We're led to believe that this guy who's bragging about pouring gasoline on a rape victim, uh, which, you know, is a very similar story to what happened to the, uh, the daughter in this film, uh, that he's the guy. So Sam Rockwell picks a fight with him to scratch his face to get DNA under his fingernails to go and get it tested to see if he is the guy who matches the crime scene. And it turns out, no, he doesn't match. Which, you know, I think that's like the twist in the movie, and it's supposed to like really surprise us. But they they come to the conclusion that they know that this guy did something bad. If Even if it wasn't Mildred's daughter, he did it to someone else's daughter. And so they decide that they're going to go and drive to where he lives, you know, across the country, and kill him. And they have a little bit of reservations... As they're driving, and they're like, well, let's decide along the way. And that's how the movie ends. And so it's left kind of open-ended. It's left for the audience to ponder, did they, didn't they? If they did, would it be morally justified or not? And that's my question to you, Daniel. Would it be murder? Would it be justice? Sure seems like, you know, some some hearsay or, you know, some kind of like boasting that he kind of does, you know, in a bar. Is that enough to, is that a, is it enough of a confession to to? to convict somebody or you know dixon's dixon is sure he did something um but he's a moron but you know as the audience we get to hear what he hear he heard so would that be enough for you does it pass the daniel test or would you need more more evidence but even if you had the evidence would you be justified in going off and killing this person yeah man that's a tough question um now, again, in the film, you know, we, the audience, get to hear it better than probably Dixon could have. Uh, I don't think it's enough for me, personally, to really mm -hmm. do anything. Though, you know, if there was some kind of apparatus, and I'm talking about it in a stateless society, but even in a state society like we have now, I mean, yeah, maybe I'd take that information to 
somebody of some, you know, some means of doing something or investigating it or looking into it, you know, some somewhere where uh, at least that piece of information can be tied together with a potential actual crime, you know? Mm-hmm. I wouldn't so, just sit on it, but I also don't think that I'd go and kill the guy. But, uh, you know, I'm also a bit non-confrontational. Like, I don't want to... Like, if I can avoid a confrontation, I'll avoid a confrontation. Okay, so I'm kind of where you're at, but... Uh, so you've answered one part of the question that you wouldn't have done... You wouldn't have gone and just killed this guy, but you would have taken some action. Second part of the question, if you had murdered them or gone off and killed this guy, would it be justice or would it be murder based on the information that they have? Or is that just a question you just can't answer? We just don't know. Or you, you don't want to make the judgment on that. Well, I feel like the... the second answer is tied to the first answer like for me i don't think it's enough to to really do anything other than try to piece that part of you know present that piece of the puzzle to somebody who's got the puzzle laid out and that they're trying to put together okay so let's say that the mildred and dixon go and kill that guy would you support any kind of legal action against them well that's an easy answer i wouldn't (laughs) okay so even in in a stateless society well in a stateless society it's not really my business. Like I wouldn't choose to associate with them, but I think that there would be structures in place to where there'd be competing security firms and there would be repercussions to actions and things of that nature. People would have reputations. I think that they would have a poor reputation as a result. So personally, Mm -hmm. I wouldn't want to hang out with them, deal with them, do business with them or any of those things. But again, it's, you know, it's really hard to know exactly how uh, such a structure would function but back to present structures in place, yeah, I wouldn't advocate that anything be done um, to them as a result in the current structure, if you follow. So you'd be kind of, even though they don't even know the victim, you'd kind of be supporting of this kind of like vigilante justice death squad, essentially. Because that's what they are. I mean, they're a vigilante death squad. <laughs> and I don't necessarily mean that that's like a bad thing. It, of course, death squad has negative connotations, of course. Yeah, it doesn't give me the good, the good feels, Robert. As any kind of bad thing. I mean, all cops are is institutionalized vigilantism. So so to answer my question, Daniel, do you support vigilante death squads? <laughs> ANCAP vigilante death squads. Well, yeah, vigilante um, just meaning outside of the, the normal bounds of the legal law. Yeah, absolutely. Um, death, right. death squads, I don't know about that. Right. Well, but they, they are. They are a death squad in this situation, right? Yeah, yeah, they certainly would be. Okay. But yeah, it's, uh, it's, a, it's a tough question. And I think that uh, the market would have a response to deal with it. Um, but yeah, I don't know particularly what that would be. Sure. Neither do I. But I think it's fun. It's a, it's a good movie to sit and ponder and discuss. Um, thank you for your answers, as honest as they are. Well, yeah, I'm, tr- I'm trying to give you good answers without <laughs> pinning myself down too much. Uh, oh, you will be pinned down. You son of a bitch. All right. So before we get into our final summary and review, I wanted to ask you if there were any tears jerked out of you, and in particular at the orange juice scene. This is where Red is in the hospital as a result of being beat up and thrown out the window by the Rockwell character. And Rockwell saves the file from the police station that's on fire because Mildred threw Molotov cocktails into it. And he doesn't know, Red doesn't know it's Rockwell under the bandages. And he offers him orange juice. For me, that was not the scene that jerked any tears. Um, I'm curious if that was, was that, was that a scene that, that worked for you in terms of emotional? I mean, it was, it's a nice moment for Red once he finds out that Dixon is actually Dixon there and he still gives him the orange juice um, after recoiling in horror. And Dixon, you know, apologizes and he's starting to feel some. It seems to be the letter from Willoughby really changed Dixon. It's like, it's, you know, all, all you need is love to be a good detective. And all of a sudden, Dixon's like this kind of good guy. Uh, you know, real character development doesn't really work like that in the real world. But in the world of this movie, um, I think it's it's perfectly fine. I feel like on Dixon, uh, it might have worked because he's so dim-witted and such a mama's boy. I mean, his mom, he literally does everything that she suggests. Like, oh, you want to get back at her? Well, go after her friends. You know, that's like great motherly advice. And of course, he's got the uh, apparatus of the state with which to do it with impunity. Right. And he is a character that, you know, basically idolizes Willoughby because Willoughby is essentially the one competent guy with actually a heart, even though he's a cop. But no, the actual, the the scene that jerked the most tears for me in this movie was the suicide scene. And I thought it was an interesting 
move on Willoughby's part and his justification was that he, you know, it was essentially, it was a gift because he didn't want to put his family through, you know, giving her the memories of him wasting away to, you know, decrepitude, but, you know, leaving this memory of him in essentially in the prime of his life with her. Um, I thought that was a really powerful moment. I mean, I don't know if I'd necessarily make that same choice, but that's what, you know, good movies do is they make the characters make interesting choices. And I think Willoughby makes an interesting choice when he just, you know, has the plans out this, you know, kind of perfect day with his wife and his family. And he has this little game that his daughters can play. And he knows it's the last time he's going to see him, you know, when he when he tucks him into bed at night. And then, you know, the last words he says to his wife and then he writes these letters and goes out and kills himself. And man, that was that hit me right in the feels. I can't necessarily um, identify in terms of having a family like that, but um, I can appreciate from a human point of view, knowing, you know, that your time is super limited. I mean, all our times are limited, but his time was like really limited. And he knew that it was essentially a shit show from there on out. And he didn't want to subject his family to that. And it was uh, an interesting, powerful choice he made. So yeah. And, and then seeing, you know, the reaction of his wife being, you know, devastated and you know, that's always really hard. And then knowing that the the daughters are going to be devastated, and it's just a really hard thing to lose lose your father and your your husband. So that was that was my scene. Yeah, I agree. That was a, a very difficult scene, and it was also one of the the plot devices I think that helped make the town being against Mildred more believable because Willoughby had the pancreatic cancer, and everyone knew. And here, Mildred was you know like calling him out and being an asshole to him. In in their perception, right? Because I think any other scenario would have had the townspeople like be on board with the mother of a murdered, you know, rape victim who was burned. Sure. So they had to have something to to turn it the other way. And I think Certainly. it was fairly effective. And and Harrelson, I think he he shows us his chops in this one far more than he did in the, the Planet of the Apes, the most recent one. Uh, he had a little more meat on his character to play with, I think, in this one. Yeah. Uh, and we've seen this decision, this type of decision, a couple of times before. We saw it in Deadpool when Wade also had cancer and didn't want his girlfriend to go through that. So he is, he leaves and then goes to this experimental government, what he thinks is a government lab, uh, and it turns out it's not. And then also in Find Me Guilty, where, uh, what's his name, Jackie, was like, no, don't bother coming to the trial. I don't want to put you through it. That's right, yeah. Yeah, and uh, the Vince Vaughn character does that in um, The Brawl in Cell Block 99, which is another film that just came out last year and not one we've done on the show before, but it's another example of this type of um, this type of sacrifice to save your family and loved ones from the emotional baggage that would come with the deterioration or the trial or, or whatever the you know harrowing event is going to be. But I got to say, sure, Harrelson is saving them from seeing him wither away, but he's not saving them from... The experience of, hey, my husband or my dad shot themselves. You know, I think that would also be a rather traumatic thing, though more of an immediate, you know, shorter term like event versus the wasting away. But I don't know, man, they kind of feel almost equivalent in a way. Yeah, they are in a a way, in a way. um, You could argue that one is more traumatic than the other. One is kind of natural and one is like a brutal, violent stop. Right. And it costs them, right? The time he had remaining. Sure. And, you know, she may resent him for that, you know, essentially robbing her of the time they had left. Right. And even though he thinks that that time would have been, you know, not good, but you're still kind of taking that choice away from her. Right. Not to say that she has any kind of ownership over him, but they did have, you know, an agreement and like a partnership. So, yeah. And as the time wore down, it would become more and more precious as it became more and more scarce. So I think it sure. would have even more value for them. So I don't know, man, I'm kind of torn on it. I mean, and, and we, we really need to start ending the show here, but uh, I think maybe later on, like it might be a matter of timing for me. Like, yeah, once you're past a certain point where you're like, okay, it's only going to be suffering for everyone involved from this point on, then let's do the, you know, do the thing. Um, versus back when he's still relatively capable of doing stuff and enjoying time and spending time with them. And, you know, it comes down to an individual choice, right? But for me, I felt like he maybe jumped the gun, so to speak. Oh, Daniel. I know, the, the puns Not are coming appropriate. out. <laughs> Too soon? Daniel. <laughs> you got to rein those puns in sometimes. All right, we've gone too far and too long on this episode. So let's do the final summary and review. Okay. 
So this is a movie I've wanted to do for some time, and I'm glad we finally got to do it. It's uh, I don't I should have looked up. Did you do any kind of research on the uh, writer director? Because I did not. I don't know if he's done other movies in the past. I imagine he has. You don't just make your own movie with all this high power talent just out of the gate. I don't think. But anyway, uh, really strong writing and directing effort. Um, strong acting. Uh, you know, it's the movie that'll make you laugh, make you cry, and ask you know, a lot of interesting questions. Like when she kicks the girl in the crotch, are you pro kicking the high school kid in the crotch or are you anti kicking the high school kid in the crotch? What was your reaction to that? I was kind of in support of her kicking the kid in the crotch. But then again, I thought that that was a bit egregious. It's it it fun. Um, actually, she kicks two kids in the crotch, a boy and a girl. So she wasn't sexist there. So that's nice. Egalitarian crotch kicking. Um, so, but anyway, yeah, uh, lots of interesting, fun questions that the movie asks, um, fun discussion type movie, but it might leave you a bit emotionally drained after watching it. Um, fun, open-ended ending, and uh, just overall, just really, really well done. I'm going to give this movie a 9.1. Really strong recommendation if you haven't seen it, but if you haven't, why are you listening to this? Of course you have. You've already seen it. You agree with me, and thank you for doing so. You're all smart. What did Daniel think? Wow, that is high praise indeed. Very, very mm-hmm. high praise. Uh, I agree that this was an interesting movie. It had a lot of good questions come out of it. It was funny in parts, but also very dramatic in parts. I did find the turn to be a little bit hokey. Um, and Mildred, her character, Frances McDormand, she um, she really got into the role and, and played it well. But I also think that her character got away with a bit much, right? And that the police didn't scrutinize her further with the Molotov cocktail thing because she was on a date with Tyrion Lannister and or promised a date with him, and so they didn't look into it any further. So I don't know. I mean, this is the type of movie that I'm glad I watched, and it was entertaining, but I'm not glad I bought it. Do you know what I mean? Like, this doesn't have a whole lot of rewatchability for me. I know you watched it twice, and I think you picked up a bit more in the second watching, but... Also, you watched it a second time with the intention of discussing it. And I think that probably plays a big role in how you're watching a film. So I'm a little bit lower on this thing. I'm going to go with a 6.5. So a little bit of a disagreement here between the last nighters on this one. But still a good movie and still one worth checking out. But you didn't answer if you're pro kid crotch kicking or not. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, they did kind of provoke her, though she didn't know who it was. So it it was a matter of her doing the Rico thing and just giving them the guilt by association. She knew it was, it was indeed one of the three or the four up there. So she just started going up there, kicking them uh, <laughs> without really knowing who it was. So uh, another instance where she probably went too far, but it was probably satisfying as a viewer because yes, yeah, they were being dick bags to her. So, right. And you know, punk high school kids, <laughs> you don't get a lot of sympathy when you're a punk high school kid. I'm sorry. Yeah. Sorry. Just walk it off. Walk it off there, Jimmy. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, that has been our show on The Last Nighters. So uh, three billboards outside of Ebbing, Missouri. Do check it out. Uh, at least give it a rental. And um, what are we going to do next week? I think we landed on Harry Potter. It's the 20th anniversary of the first Harry Potter coming out. So I think we're going to talk about primarily the first movie and just anything else related to it, the books the uh, other seven movies. I know you don't have time to watch all of them. Um, I did send you a thing that related or uh, compared Harry Potter to Star Wars, and that might be an interesting angle to take because I know you're a big Star Wars nerd. So Harry Potter, uh, the next week on The Last Nighters. Check us out. All right. Uh, And be sure to give us uh, some comments and ratings and reviews on iTunes, Google Play Music, YouTube, etc. You can even join us on anchor.fm slash lastnighters and send us audio. You can send us a one-minute message, and we can play it on the show and respond to you, and you can hear your own voice on an upcoming episode. So check that out, and uh, I just want to say goodnight from last night. Thanks, everyone. And I said thanks you everyone to the Last Nighters audience, but now I'm going to say thank you everyone to the anarchists, the real deal anarchists who are sticking with us and still listening to us talk about three billboards outside Bumfuck, Missouri, episode 83 of the show. So you know this. 
Uh, what else we have to talk about? Um, we've got a few more minutes before we get into the Kathleen Turner Overdrive for a bit tonight. I don't know. I think we covered it all. Uh, we did good. Let me look over my notes. Check them out one last time. Um, are you going to try and defend Dixon for d- attacking Red? You want to do that? You're justified. Uh, no, I don't. Um, I don't find him justified at all. No, sorry. Okay. All right. I did like the point where the um, the billboards were on fire, and she's like, "Fuck the fire department. They probably started it." Yeah. Yeah. Uh, her son goes, should we call the fire department? She's like, exactly what you just said. Fuck the fire department. They probably started it. I wrote it down word for word. Yeah. Cause everyone was against her in this film, but, uh, I think it's revealed later on that it's her ex-husband, right? Yes, it is. Yeah. He, uh, he's like, well, I was upset, so I'm sorry about that. And she's like, what? Yeah. And I was surprised there weren't really any repercussions to him for that from her. I think if the movie had gone on maybe there would have been, but yeah, there's a, there's quite a bit that it, the movie kind of glosses over and there's a time jump where Tixon's in the hospital and then all of a sudden he's out. Oh yeah, yeah, that it, was quick, yeah. Yeah, there was a super quick time jump. But, you know, it's already a fairly long movie. You got to trim it down for narrative sake. You can't you can't talk about every little thing that's implicated by the plot. So, yeah, it did, it, they did gloss over, you know, who firebombed the police department. You know, of course Dixon is like obviously it was you, but there's no real official investigation into her, who's the obvious suspect. I mean, she's dressed like a fire bomber when she's out firebombing. And yeah, you know, it's all good. It's all good. They didn't bother to get like fingerprints, you know, on the, uh, from the, uh, the office on, uh, on the other side of the, you know, where she'd thrown the bombs. You know, there's no witnesses. Anyway, you know, it doesn't go into any of that. It just kind of glosses over and it's over and done with. But I can't really fault the movie, man. It just is just so much right. There's so much good emotion and drama and surprises and good moral questions. Man, it just, it just uh, fired it right along for me. Sorry you hated it, but, you know, that's the way it goes. Well, 6.5 isn't, isn't necessarily a hate. It's hate. It's hate. Hate, hate. Why hate, you got to hate, Daniel? Hate, hate, hate. <laughs> you're so full of hate. How come you're so full of hate? I don't even know you and I hate your guts. Uh, mm. Chappelle show, Chappelle show. I miss that. You probably do. Yeah. Oh, uh, there was the one line where the, the new cop, the guy from the wire says to Mildred, we ain't all the enemy, you know? Yeah. I kind of, kind of got to kind of disagree with that one. I mean, a lot of cops have that idea that they're the good guy. I'm sure they all do. They all justify it in their minds that they're the good guy, but you know, they also all enforce immoral laws. So how good can you be? Yeah, I mean, I think that there are some decent people out there who got into it for the right reasons, uh, and maybe they only selectively enforce certain things, or they get out altogether. Um, I've got a couple of friends who are out, and because of these moral questions and problems that they they realized as they uh, went along their intellectual journey. And so I I have a a ton of respect for for them to recognize that and make such a dramatic change in their own lives, changing their entire occupation and their outlook. It's pretty powerful. Certainly. Certainly, absolutely true. And you know, there are people like, um, God, why can't I think of the guy's name? I'm blanking on it. Yeah, you know, he's running for president, and he used to be a military guy. He's in the army. Does that does that narrow it down? <laughs> no. Oh, that guy. No, not at all. <laughs> he's running for unpresident. You know, he's oh, an anarchist. Kokesh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, he got out. He was in the military, and he got out and decided it was all a bunch of crap. And he actually goes back and talks to vets and he's like, yeah, look at all this crap. It takes us, I mean, it's, you know, this kind of reminds me of people that, you know, vets against the war. There are, there are those, lots of those organizations. It takes a lot of, um, a fair amount of guts to, you know, essentially be seen as, you know, not supporting your people that, you know, fought and died with. Yeah. But really you are, I think those people are the best supporters. You know, they don't want you to fight and die. <laughs> They'd rather you live and stay and, Live a long, happy life and make the world a better place instead of killing a bunch of brown people for nobody's benefit. But anyway. But what do we know? We're just a couple of dumb guys talking about movies on the Actual Anarchy podcast. And thanks, everybody, for listening. All right. Well, give us your likes, your shares, your subscribes. Uh, Throw a couple of dollars our way on the Patreon like um, uh, Joe and uh, Devin did. So thank you guys again. Double shout outs for you. Uh, Yeah. Be like Joe. And be like Devin. Devin. Be and, a Devin or a Joe. Or be yourself and send us dollars at the uh, the old Patreon. So actualanarchy.com slash Patreon. And you can find the show notes and more at actualanarchy.com slash 83. I think we're good to get into the Kathleen Turner Overdrive for a bit. And uh, I'll say goodnight to you, give Robert the final word, and we'll get into it. Thanks for coming along on the ride for this one, guys. 
come back next week for Harry Potter. Uh, I have no idea what we're going to talk about on that one. It's an interesting fantasy-filled universe, all kinds of wild and wacky stuff. Um, I don't really know if there are any kind of like moral implications or statist-type things. I mean, it is a, a world full of wizards and witches and whatnot and i don't think they really get into any kind of government issues but uh, you know as you know the government it uh creeps its tendrils into everything so i'm sure we'll find something to talk about anyway thanks for coming along on this one and uh, we'll catch you next time take care of each other maximum freedom everyone Chipmunks. C H I P M U N K. We're the chipmunks. Guaranteed to brighten your day. Do 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 do